Good morning. Good to see you. Those of you who are visiting with us, we're especially glad to have you. And we invite you to be with us every opportunity that you have. Open your Bibles to Luke 19. Luke 19. I was, we are going to be gone next week on vacation. And when I get back, I'm going to start the lessons on the end times with Revelation and premillennialism and stuff like that. And I know you've been looking forward to that, but I didn't want to do one lesson on that and then be gone and then come back and start it. So I said, I need one lesson. And I remembered Keith Parker's joke the other day about me being short and Zacchaeus. And I said, you know what, I'm going to preach on Zacchaeus. (laughs) And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about Zacchaeus. Let's read verses 1 through 10 of Luke chapter 19 as we begin. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. When I was a kid, my family used to always play rook. Every time we got together, it seemed like they would all get together at this, uh, the, the kitchen table and they would play this big game of Rook. But guess who was never able to play? Me. Even though I wanted to play, a lot of times I was never allowed to. The only person I ever remember letting me play was my mom. Occasionally she would let me sit on her lap and she would tell me which card to play and I would pick the card and I would throw it out there. But nobody ever really took the time to set me down and explain to me how to play the game of Rook so that I could play with the rest of the family. I'm thankful that Zacchaeus was not a man that neglected the little things of life. He didn't neglect himself because he was little. He didn't neglect a little opportunity to stop and see Jesus. Zacchaeus was not a man to neglect the little things, and I would say today that we should not be either. Now read this story, I also think about Moses and Jeremiah. And you may be wondering, well, what kind of relationship do Moses and Jeremiah have? Yeah, they're both prophets, but aside from that, what kind of relationship did they have? Well, Moses and Jeremiah were were both guilty of making excuses when God called them to be prophets. Moses is probably bigger in our minds because there are at least four excuses that he made in Exodus chapter 4 to try to say, God, I'm not willing to do this. I don't want to do this. I can't speak well. The people are not going to listen to me. They have no reason to listen to me. Well, God said, you're going to do this anyway. And eventually Moses gave in to God's wishes and went on to be a great leader of God's people. Jeremiah was very similar In Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 6, Jeremiah said, God, I can't speak too well. I'm just a youth. Nobody's going to listen to me. 
God said, Jeremiah, I'll tell, I'll tell you exactly what to say. I'll put my words in your mouth and you will say my words. It won't be your words. It will be my words. And Jeremiah went on to be a great prophet. Even though he went on to be the most persecuted man in Scripture, he went on to be a great prophet. I'm thankful that Zacchaeus did not sell himself short. Zacchaeus didn't think about the things that could have held him back from being a disciple of Jesus, from seeing Jesus. Zacchaeus didn't sell himself short. He did whatever he needed to get what he wanted at that moment. And I would say that we need to be the same way a lot of times. I love this story. I've always liked this story because I'm a short person. I always have been a short person. And so Zacchaeus has always been drawn to me, or I've always been drawn to Zacchaeus, however you want to look at it. But I want you to remember something about Zacchaeus. This story is not just good material for vacation Bible school. This story is full of good information that can help us be better children of God. And I want us to look at this story this morning and look at some short lessons that we can learn from Zacchaeus. Here's one thing that I want us to point out. When we think about Zacchaeus, I want us to remember that it's not always easy to see Jesus. In verse 3, the Bible says, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not see or he could not, excuse me, because he was small in stature. The first part of that verse said he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Basically what this statement conveys is the idea that I want to see, who is this guy? That's basically what the Bible is saying. Zacchaeus wanted to know, who is this guy? I like the way the New Living Translation renders it. He said he was, try, he was trying to get a look at Jesus. And I think that's exactly what's going on here. Now, why was Zacchaeus trying to get a look at Jesus? Well, think of all the things that Jesus has been doing. Jesus has been doing things that nobody has done. Jesus has been doing things to blow all kinds of people's minds. There's a man that's blind, that's never seen a day in his life. Jesus just touches this guy's eyes with something, and all of a sudden he is able to see like he's never been blind before a day in his life. There's a man that's lame that's never walked a day in his life. And Jesus just walks up to the man and says, Hey, stand up, start walking. And the man stands up and not just walks, he leaps and he runs. And he's never done that before a day in his life. There's a person that's been uh, harassed by demons, several demons uh, overtaking this man or this woman. And Jesus says, get out of there. And the demons get out. The demons even know this man's name and the authority of this man. Nobody's ever done stuff like Jesus has done. I want to see who is this guy. I want to see what he looks like. But it's not just the things that Jesus did, I don't think. I think it's the things that he said. Here's a man that is not just doing great miraculous things, but he's saying things that blow people's minds. He's the Messiah. He forgives people's sins. Only God can forgive sins, but this man forgives sins as if he's God himself. Who is this guy? But here's something we need to appreciate about Zacchaeus. He was a short guy. It wasn't easy for him to see Jesus. But Zacchaeus 
learned something then or he knew something then that I, st I think still is very valuable for us to know today. And it's that even though it might not be easy to see Jesus, that does not mean that it is impossible to see Jesus. Even though it's not easy to see Jesus, it doesn't mean that it is impossible to see Jesus. There's a lot of noise in the world today about the church, about Jesus, about Scripture. A lot of noise that is false. A lot of noise that is meant to turn our minds away from Scripture, away from Jesus, and away from the church, rather than toward all of those things. But I'm here to tell you today that all of that stuff is, is noise. That's all it is. And the noise, while it may be distracting, while it may be meant to turn us away from Jesus, Zacchaeus, people like Zacchaeus and people like you and me that I believe are rooted and grounded in Scripture, that want to do what's right, that want to glorify God, all we're going to see is noise too. We're not going to pay a bit of attention to that. Because we know that even though Jesus is not always easily seen, that He's in so many different places even when we don't obviously see it. When Jesus talked to His disciples, I think one of the main things that He was trying to convey to them is that He wanted them to see Him for who He was. Not for who everybody else said that He was, but for who He actually was. Because there were a lot of people saying a lot of different things about Jesus. Some people were saying He was one of the prophets, like Jeremiah or somebody like that. Some people thought that He was John the Baptist, raised from the dead. Other people thought, well, He may be the son of David, but we don't know, we can't be for sure, but He sure is doing some pretty cool things. But Jesus wanted His disciples to know for sure that He was God in the flesh. He was the Son of David. He was the Messiah, the Son of Man. And He did this in ways that were very subtle. Ways that we may not always notice Him doing it. I think one of those ways is found in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31, Jesus begins to tell His disciples about the day of judgment, what it's going to look like, some things that we can get in our minds, some pictures. And He uses the image of sheep and goats. Jesus says that the day of judgment is going to be where uh, the sheep are placed on the right and the goats are placed on the left. And the sheep are going to come, they're going to be judged, and Jesus is going to say, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the kingdom. But the goats who are on the left will be said the exact opposite thing to. They will say, they will, uh, Jesus will say to them, the king will say to them, I'm going to cast you into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But what characterizes a sheep and a goat? That's what's interesting to me about this passage. He says in verse 36, beginning in verse 36, He says, I was naked and you clothed me. This is Jesus talking. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer Him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Here's a group of people that are going to be given their eternal reward and they have no clue why. It's always been interesting to me. 
I would imagine that you and I, on the day of judgment, whenever we are given our eternal reward, or we are, if we are given eternal bliss or eternal damnation, I would imagine that we would know why we were receiving that reward. Because I've been trying to live my life for Jesus to the best of my ability. And because I'm a Christian, Christ's blood covers me because I'm trying my best. But if I'm not doing those things, then I can't expect to receive eternal bliss. And so you might think that I know why I'm going to receive this reward. But here's a group of people that are receiving their eternal bliss reward with Jesus, but they have no clue why. Jesus tells them why. The king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you, didn't, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. It's not a day in their lives where they've ever seen Jesus hungry or need clothing or in prison and need visiting. But what Jesus says here is remarkable. That even though we don't do it to Jesus directly, if we do it to somebody else, we are doing it to Him. The flip side is true whenever we continue reading. In verse 43, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked and sick or in prison and, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. It's not always easy to see Jesus, but this is what I want us to understand. Every opportunity we have on this earth to serve other people is also an opportunity to serve Jesus. Let me say it this way. Every opportunity we have on this earth to see other people is an opportunity we have to see Jesus. The real question is, it's not, do we see Jesus? Because we do. Even though it's hard, we do. The real question is, do people see Jesus in us? That's the real question. I'm thankful for people, for people like Zacchaeus, who even though it was difficult to see Jesus, did not take no for an answer, did not make any excuses, appreciated the fact that he had an opportunity in front of him and took advantage of that opportunity. It's difficult to see Jesus, yes, but that does not mean that it is impossible to see him. Here's another lesson that we learn from Zacchaeus. Jesus changes lives even though people don't like it always. In verses 7 through 9, it says, When they saw it, they all grumbled. This is after Zacchaeus takes Jesus into his home. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, for he also is a son of Abraham. Do we know the song that we sing at VBS about Zacchaeus? I'm not going to sing it, but I'll quote it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Savior he wanted to see. And as the Savior walked on by, he looked up in the tree. 
And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down from here, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. I grew up singing that song. But after I study this passage, I learned that there's something really key that's missing in that song. It's a great song, conveys a lot of the story. But the problem with that song is it doesn't have any lyrics for the most important part of the story. And that's the salvation of Zacchaeus. Sure, he took Jesus into his home, but what happened after that? Sadly, our kids never learn that from the song because the song doesn't have any lyrics to record it. But this story is all about a rich outcast having the opportunity to be saved by Jesus. That's what this story is about. Let me prove it to you. If you go back to Luke chapter 18, in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, you have the parable of the Pharisee or the, 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 the prayers of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Pharisee prays the prayer, and he's this great righteous man, so he thinks. And he says, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not like this man, this tax collector, this sinner. Because I fast twice a day, I keep the law, I do all this great stuff. And all he does is laud himself in self-righteousness. But the tax collector falls to his knees, beats his breast, and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's all that he says. Who walked away justified according to their prayer? It was the tax collector. Not the self-righteous Pharisee, the tax collector. The rich guy who was an outcast was not liked by the Pharisees or other people in the community, I might add. We continue on to verses 15 through 17, and you've got Jesus having an encounter with some children. Now, how do we view children in our society today? If we have a church potluck, who goes first? We try to get the visitors to go first, but you know those children always sneak in there. And we don't have any problem with it whatsoever. Let the children go first. We like that. Not in the first century. In the first century, the children were last because they were outcasts. And here you have some children coming to Jesus and Jesus is picking these children up, talking to them. Well, His disciples try to drive the children away because they think the children are bothering Jesus. And Jesus says, don't drive them away because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Once again, these outcasts are held in high regard by Jesus. The story of the rich young ruler beginning in verse 18. What do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? To inherit uh, heaven? Well, keep this commandment, this commandment, this commandment. Well, that's great. I've done that. What more do I lack? Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. The man went away sorrowful. He wasn't willing to do that. Here's a man who was rich, who had the opportunity to be saved just as much as anybody else did. He made the decision to walk away, but it wasn't because of Jesus and His inability to save him. It was because the man made the decision to walk away from Jesus. And then you have Bartimaeus. In Luke's account here, beginning in verse 35, we don't learn the man's name. You read Mark chapter 10 and you learn the guy's name is Bartimaeus. But he's a, he's a, a blind man who just sits and begs all day long. Well, Jesus is walking down the road, entering into Jericho, going towards Jericho, and he comes across this blind man named Bartimaeus. When Bartimaeus hears that it's Jesus coming, he starts crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
And everybody tells him to be quiet. Shut up. Be quiet. Don't say anything. Well, the more the people told him to be quiet, Bartimaeus just got even louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. They tried to make him be quiet again, but Jesus stopped. He turned and he looked at the man and he said, Come here. Come to me. And Bartimaeus, regardless of whether he could see where he was going or not, he jumped up, threw off his cloak, and he ran to Jesus. And Jesus healed him of his blindness. And he began to follow Jesus after that. And so when we come to Luke chapter 19 and verse 1, he entered Jericho and was passing through. Guess who was probably in the midst of the crowd? Probably Bartimaeus. A man who had just had his blindness healed. My point is this. The story of Zacchaeus is placed right here by Luke for a specific purpose. That people who are rich or people who are outcast or both have the opportunity to be saved. Just as much opportunity as anybody has. It all fits in the whole story of the life of Jesus The theme of the Gospel of Luke, in my opinion, is Luke 9.51. This is what it says. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's the turning point of the Gospel of Luke. When Jesus decided to go to Jerusalem for the final time to be crucified for the sins of the world, guess what he did whenever he stopped to give Zacchaeus the time of day? He stopped on his mission to save the entire world. He stopped. For one sinner. For one outcast. But notice on the screen that Jesus changes lives. Yes, He does. But He does it even when people don't like it very much. What's going on as Zacchaeus and Jesus are in His house? It said in verse 6, He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when, he, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You remember the noise we talked about earlier? There's a lot of noise in the world to try to turn us away from Jesus. Scripture, try to turn us away from the church. The world doesn't like it when we follow Jesus all that much. Well, these people didn't either. And so I want you to picture yourself in the house of Zacchaeus. As him and and, and Jesus are talking, having this conversation, what's the only thing that you hear? This screaming out in the the streets outside of Zacchaeus' house. Why is he in there? Why did he bring him into his... He's in there with the house of a, a tax collector, a sinner. He calls himself the Messiah. He can't be the Messiah. There's no way that the Messiah would do anything like this. He wouldn't fellowship with this guy. That's the only thing that Zacchaeus can hear going over and over and over again in his mind. And guess what it does? It only reminds Zacchaeus of his sin even more and his need to change his life even more. And because of all of this stuff that he hears from the crowd, he decides... I need to make a change in my life. And he repents from his sin. What was his sin? Obviously, in context, we learned that his sin was taking more from people paying taxes than he was supposed to take from them. And so repentance, according to Zacchaeus, would be to give it all back. But he doesn't just give it all back. He gives it all back and fourfold more. Jesus changes lives. 
even when people don't like it very much. I know of a lot of people that did a lot of bad stuff, but when they gave their life to Jesus, their complete life changed forever, for the better, I might add. I know of a man that was so addicted to heroin one time that he held a cop up at gunpoint, went to prison, spent like 12 years in prison. While he was in prison, he didn't have much to do, so let's just read the Bible. He began in Genesis, ended in Revelation, learned that he needed to be baptized for the remission of his sins. He did that, and to this day, he's been running a drug rehabilitation program. He's in his 70s, still dedicating his life to saving people that have been struggling with drug addiction. Drug rehabilitation program in Alabama that's overseen by the elders of a particular congregation there in Alabama. I know of other people that have come through that program. You're looking at one of them. Jesus changes lives. Not just Zacchaeus, not just tax collectors, but people that have real problems. Finally, we learn from Zacchaeus that we have to be there to build each other up. Verse 4 says, So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. You may read this and think, well, why not just get on the roof of your house? That's what Rahab did in Joshua chapter 2, right? She took the spies up to the roof of her house and hid them under the flax on the roof. Why not do that? Well, Jericho in this time was a lot different than Jericho back in Joshua chapter 2. Jericho during this time is full of a lot of huge houses, villas and things. It would have taken Zacchaeus a lot of time, if he could have done it at all, to get to the roof of his house. But guess what's right there? Presents itself in all its convenience. That sycamore tree. How can a short man climb up a sycamore tree? Man, trees are tall, right? Not sycamore trees. They have short trunks. That even somebody short like Zacchaeus can climb up, but their branches are really full. And so they've got short trunks, but really full branches. And so it was providing him exactly what he needed to see, uh, to see Jesus. That's what we need to be for each other. We need to be sycamore trees for each other. To be exactly what people need. The Bible tells us that this is what we are to be for each other. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 it says, Bear one another's burdens. That word bear there is an imperative verb. Meaning it's not optional. If there are two Christians, one of them is struggling and the other one is not, and the one who's not struggling does not bear the burden of that one who is, that's a violation of Scripture. A violation of our responsibility as a child of God to bear each other's burdens. It's something we must do. Not something we do whenever we have opportunity or whenever we have uh, some type of, uh, uh, of... If there's something going on that's real, we, uh, we have to do it. But why do we have to do it? Because in Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 1... Paul said, that's what Jesus did for us. When I was lost in my sins, when I had no hope whatsoever, guess what Jesus did? He bared the burden, He bore the burden, excuse me, that only He could bear. Nobody else could do it. He was our only hope. And guess what? He bore the burden. And that's what we have to do for others because that's what Jesus did 
for us. In verses 5 and 6, we have one more thing I want us to point out here in verses 5 and 6, and the lesson will be yours. It says, When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. We don't need to neglect the opportunity to show hospitality. In verses 5 and 6, we need to be hospitable to each other. This hospitality gave Zacchaeus the opportunity he needed to be saved. I wish we had more time this morning to talk about how much of a, a center point hospitality is in Scripture because it's everywhere. It's actually a very elementary thing for God's people to be hospitable. And we learn that in a lot of different places. But let's just look at two very quickly and then we will close. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13 first of all. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 13, beginning of verse 1. says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, strangers here is a little bit different than the way we think about strangers. If somebody comes to our front door and knocks on the door, guess what Lane does? He jets to the door. He wants to be the first one to see this stranger. Who's knocking on our door? Well, I'll run behind Lane and I'll make sure I put him behind me because I don't want him to talk to strangers. I don't want a stranger to be the first thing to see when they open that door as my two-year-old son. We don't let our children talk to strangers for obvious reasons. But that's not the kind of stranger we're talking about here necessarily. Because verse 1 gives us some context. Let brotherly love continue. So who's the stranger here? The stranger here is somebody that I might not know, but I do know this about them. They're a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Don't neglect to show hospitality to those strangers. Why? For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. What in the world does that mean? Well, think about the Old Testament. Think about Abraham and Sarah. Think about Lot. They were visited by some angels, some angels that had taken on flesh, that were just like regular men. They looked like regular men. They came to these people and they had them a message to give to them from God. What did they do? They received those angels into their homes. And what allowed Abraham and Sarah to have? To have that child of promise because they were willing to be hospitable. What was Lot and his wife able to do? They were able to be, or at least until, uh, until his, lot, uh, his wife looked behind her and was turned into a pillar of salt, they were able to be led out of Sodom as it was being destroyed because they were hospitable to those angels. The point is this, we may never know what good things can happen as a result of our hospitality. It just seems that people open up a little bit more whenever you let them come into your home. It may be that a person is willing to have that difficult conversation that they're not willing to have in the foyer of the church building, but they will if they're sitting on your couch in your house. It may be that a person will be willing to open the Bible and study with you. When they won't do it at church, maybe they'll do it in your home. We never know what may happen. What good things may happen when we show hospitality to other people. 
That's what this passage is talking about. Great things can happen if we will be hospitable. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9. The passage that was just read for us a moment ago. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why in the world would people grumble? And by the way, you find this same word in Luke 19, don't you? They grumbled. Why? Because Zacchaeus received Jesus into his home and Jesus was willing to go into Zacchaeus' home. They grumbled about it. Why would somebody grumble about showing another person hospitality? Well, in 1 Peter, when you think about what the book of 1 Peter is all about, it's all about suffering. Christians suffering for their faith. And so what about a Christian that's running away from suffering? They come to another brother or sister in Christ's home and they need some encouragement. They need some comfort. They need to be lifted up. They need a burden bore for them, we might say. They come to their home and they say, we don't want you here bringing all your problems, all your baggage, all of your dirty laundry, airing it out in our home. We don't want that. Because that's going to bring trouble upon us too. Peter said, don't do that. Be hospitable. Because what does that give you the opportunity to do? Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And then what do you give them? What can we give a person whenever we are hospitable? Sure, it may be that they are in a tough situation in life. But what can we give them to make it better? Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. What's this passage talking about? In context, when a person is struggling, when they're hurting, when they need a word of encouragement, what do we give them? We don't give them anything less than the Word of God. Because that's the only thing that can edify them to the degree that they need to be edified. But it all comes as a result of our hospitality. Hospitality allowed Zacchaeus to be saved. And who knows what we may be able to do for one another if we will only open the doors of our homes or the doors of our lives to other people that need us. I like this story. This story is more, it's so much more than just good material for vacation Bible school. This is a story about a real man who had real problems, who needed to change his life, and Jesus was the person that was able to allow him to make that change. And my question for you this morning is, do you need to change something about your life? It may be that there have been things in your life that you've done that you're not proud of. And you like to change those things and repent of those sins and ask for prayers and encouragement from your church family. Let us do that for you this morning. It may be that you want to learn more about the church. Maybe you don't know a whole lot about the church. What it means to be saved. Who Jesus was and and, and what He did and why He's so significant. If you have questions, ask those questions today. It may be you know what the church is all about and you know what salvation is all about but you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins. That opportunity is also available now for you to take that step and be a disciple of Jesus. If you need Jesus to change your life in any way this morning, please do it as we stand and sing.